electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greek Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed, in a small American town on a peaceful cul-de-sac, a five-bedroom, three-bath home sits empty. There's the house. This is the house. A mom, a dad, and two little boys here one day and gone the next. You guys say goodbye. How does a family of four just vanish from the face of the earth? It appeared as though somebody had brought out a magic wand and just made them disappear. And ultimately, no one knew what's happened to this family. Now, new video could show the family crossing the Mexican border. American Greed goes inside the years-long search for justice. Family members have been waiting for this day to come. From the reporters on the beat... How does something like this happen without some kind of answer? To a grandfather in agony. I didn't want to admit it. I knew I'd never see him again. To a bone-chilling discovery in the desert. It was blow after blow to a child's skull. And a motive so petty it will take your breath away. Someone who's brought into your business can turn on you when it comes to grief. The idyllic town of Fallbrook, California, lies among the hills of North San Diego County and bills itself the avocado capital of the world. It is nestled off the 15 freeway, and if you want to be close to the beaches, if you want to be close to downtown San Diego, it's a great hideaway, and it's a great place to raise a family. It's here, on Avocado Vista Lane, that the McStay family decides to settle into a new home. 40-year-old Joseph, his 42-year-old wife, Summer, and their two little boys, 4-year-old Gianni and just-turned-3-year-old Joey Jr. He loved being a father and a husband. Patrick McStay is the father of Joseph and grandfather to his two little boys. You could have given him all the millions in the world in business or whatever, and I don't think he could have ever got the smile out of him like he had when he was around his wife and his kids. I mean, that was his life. What's up, dudes? Ah, wow, dude! Joseph takes lots of videos of his kids to share with family. Oh, good kids, you boy. They were just a loving family, had just moved into this home in Fallbrook. That's where we come in, down our street. Five bedroom, three bath. Now this is gonna be all white. In fact, during that time period, they were still in the process of painting and getting it ready to raise a family. The house, the here. Yeah. Summer takes the lead on painting and house projects and caring for their boys. Go on, take your time. 
while Joseph runs and promotes his growing water feature business called Earth Inspired Products, or EIP, selling decorative waterfalls. The first year he had it, he did like $900,000. He was smart. He could sell, and he was trustworthy, and people liked him. Joseph McStay is a born entrepreneur. He gets into the waterfall business while running his first enterprise, a beach gift shop, where he sees an opportunity to cut out the middleman. He was buying these fountains that you set on your desk that are made of slate and the water trickles down. And he said, I can make them for $22 a piece, selling for $225. Not a bad markup. Joseph hires a web developer to create a website for direct-to-consumer shipping of his water features and later expands the business to include custom projects. McStay's custom fountains can fetch anywhere from ten dollars to $100,000 apiece. McStay wants to expand this lucrative side of the business and begins working with a fabricator named Charles Chase Merritt. Charles Merritt did the welding, creating some of the metalwork, the fountains, and Joseph was the businessman behind it all. And from all accounts, he was flourishing. Joseph McStay starts landing huge custom contracts and even fields a buyout offer that he runs by his dad. I told Joey, I said, just hang on. Wait a couple years. Get those contracts, get it going. Then if you want to sell it, sell it. I said, because it'll be worth five, ten times what it's worth right now. And he had been offered over a million to sell out at the time. And, and he said, I think you're right, Dad. I want to hang on. Hey, look, who's this? His business is thriving. His wife and kids happy. What's up, Jay? First bike ride ever. Joseph McStay's home videos captured the optimism of a young family who seems to be making all the right moves. Here comes the mama. You could see that they were a very tight-knit family. They loved the beach. Um, Joseph was a surfer. And you could see him instilling that type of life in his kids. Taking a cruise on the beach. Surf is pretty good today. An all-American family with a bright future ahead. I'm having so much fun. And a plan to move to the beach in a few years so Joseph can surf and the kids can grow up by the ocean. Yeah, this is wintertime in Southern California. Still surf, plenty of sun, paradise. But that plan would never come to be. On February the 10th, 2010, Patrick McStay, who lives in Texas, rings up his younger son Michael and asks him to check on Joseph. He's concerned. And I said, Michael, have you heard from your brother? I've been trying to reach him over the weekend. I, and it's this last week. I can't reach, I can't get all of it. And I said, I'm worried. Within a few days, Joseph McStay's close business associates are growing concerned as well and contact the family. His brother, Michael, climbs in through an office window. What he finds inside is disturbing. What appears to be family life interrupted. The house was as if somebody just beamed them up to the Starship Enterprise. There was a couple bowls of, I believe, popcorn that they looked like the, the boys were eating, possibly watching TV. There was a carton of eggs on the table as if maybe Summer or Joseph, they were about to make some food or something. And the dogs, they had two dogs. They were just left there. It appeared as though 
somebody had brought out a magic wand and just made them disappear. On Monday, February 15th, Michael McStay reports his brother's family missing to the San Diego County Sheriff's Department. Investigators search the residence and find absolutely no evidence of a struggle or forced entry. I was working down in San Diego as a reporter, and one of my sources from San Diego County Sheriff's Department, he called me and he said to me, Tony, there's a family missing in Fallbrook. Our detectives are up there at the house. This is going to turn into something because it's very, very strange. We think they may have been kidnapped. We don't know. Two months ago, the McStays moved into this quiet neighborhood. The couple's two young children, a four- and a three-year-old boy, are also missing. No one seems to be able to make sense of the family's disappearance. You know, there is a lack of a crime scene at the house when they go in. There's not, you know, blood all over the place. Um, So they're trying to ascertain what's happened to this family. Sheriff investigators don't think the family left on a planned vacation. Last night, they went from door to door asking neighbors if they'd seen or heard anything. They interviewed family members, they interviewed friends, they interviewed business partners, they interviewed anybody that had done business with Joseph McStay. Okay, let's let's start with your name, Charles. Charles Ray Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T. Detectives determined that Chase Merritt is the last known person to see Joseph McStay. Joseph was one of my best friends and, you know, obviously, and my business associate. Merritt says he last saw Joseph McStay on the afternoon of February 4th when the two met at Chick-fil-A in Rancho Cucamonga to discuss their current projects. As far as I know, well, I know for a fact the only person he saw at Chick-fil-A is me. Why didn't Joseph come up here? We just had to go over all, all kinds of money stuff and, matter of fact, this... Merritt says he has no clue where Joseph could be. What do you think happened to these guys? I really have... I mean... I I haven't been able to form any real explanation as to why Joseph would just disappear. Because Joseph has no enemies whatsoever that I know of. During the hour-long interview, San Diego detectives pick up on an oddity in how Chase Merritt is referring to Joseph McStay. Do you think, or have you ever thought, that he's the kids are dying? I've tried not to think about that, actually. Do you have any knowledge or information which indicates to you that they're dead? No. The reason that I ask is because you have used the past tense about Joe a couple times. Right. And you said Joe was. Typically, people don't do that with people for a lot. The one thing that did stick out to San Diego investigators was he repeatedly used the past tense in referring to Joe and the family. Any explanation as to why you may have done that? No, no, not really. I just, you know, no. And he seemed caught off guard. Like, oh, I I didn't realize I was doing that. I have no idea. You know, I'm not sure what what I used past tense in in context with, uh, but I have no idea why. You said Joe was my best friend. Oh. I did. You did. And, well, I don't know why. Okay. Okay. Did you guys have a falling out at all? Never, never. Okay. Still your best friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not me. Okay. After agreeing to a swab for DNA, Chase Merritt is free to go. 
and the search for the McStay family continues. Police track the plates of the family's missing white Isuzu trooper and quickly get a lead. Four days after they were last seen, the McStay's vehicle had been found abandoned in a parking lot within walking distance of the U.S.-Mexico border. But the discovery only leaves investigators with more questions. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You like the rocks and the dirt, bugs and everything, huh? Joseph McStay's home videos reveal a young family loving life. We gotta go. You guys say goodbye. Bye. Until one day when they all disappear from their Fallbrook, California home without a trace. There is Suzu Trooper abandoned near the U.S.-Mexico border in San Diego, and no one knows why. Adding to the mystery... The San Diego Sheriff detectives scan video surveillance at the border crossing on the same day their vehicle is found and see what appears to be two adults with two small children walking across the border. Could it be the McStays? Could the family have decided to start a new life in Mexico or take a vacation and something happened there? A family went missing like this the way they went missing and no evidence of a struggle. So I could kind of understand at that time why the detectives were thinking, well, maybe they just up and left their lives for whatever reason. You don't want to think that possibly they may have been murdered. San Diego was first confronted with what truly looked like a missing persons case. The vehicle was found at the border. There is this grainy video of what appears to be a family of four, roughly the same, going across the border. And so while it wasn't necessarily, I think, a concrete theory that they had left and gone to Mexico, it was, well, we don't have any other evidence to point us in another direction. But months later, the McStays still haven't contacted a single person or accessed a penny of more than $100,000 in their personal bank accounts. Joseph's father, Patrick McStay, says he is certain his son did not take his family into Mexico. You got a video. And all you can see is the back of someone. How in the heck can you tell me that's them? My son has a distinctive walk, almost like a duck walk. And that video was not my son. 
McStay is disappointed, to say the least, in San Diego's investigation and decides to take matters into his own hands. I didn't get much sleep. I was going over papers, going over things we found, going over records, seeking out things, calling people. I mean, this is what we were doing. San Diego wasn't... I had no idea what they were doing. Still, the missing McStays never surface, and the case goes cold for more than three years. The more time that passes, the more unlikely their family believes they chose to leave. I didn't want to admit it. I knew I'd never see him again. Because Joey just, he wasn't the type to just disappear or walk off. They would not have left like that. November 13th, 2013. Off the I-15 freeway, north of Victorville, California, is an unincorporated area in the Mojave Desert. A motorcyclist is out riding the trails when he makes a gruesome discovery. How can I help you? Hi, I'm out here on a motorcycle out behind the, the dump, and I found what looks like a human skull. A small, bleached white skull bone that appears to be that of a child. San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department responds. All we got was that there was a motorcycle rider in the area who recovered a portion of a skull cap. From there, they notified our coroner's detail, and they went out to the scene, ended up locating two shallow graves. Two shallow graves. Inside the first lie what appear to be the decomposed remains of a grown man. He was wrapped in uh, like a cloth woven blanket. The woven blanket was wrapped in a, a tie-down. Um, and then also there was a white extension cord wrapped around the neck. In the same grave, they find a child's rib bone, which is later connected to the small skull found nearby. Other bones are believed to have been carried off by animals. The second grave reveals the decomposed remains of a smaller adult and another child. There were two shallow grave sites with a total of four bodies. The Sheriff's Department released that they found the remains of four people, two of them children. As soon as they released that information, I immediately thought, oh my God, this might be the McStays. Three and a half years after the family went missing, the worst case scenario is confirmed. And through the use of dental records, we're able to identify the adult victims as Summer and Joseph McStay. We believe the other two sets of remains are that of the boys, their sons. Police recovered a sledgehammer buried with the bodies. It's consistent with the damage evident in the skulls. Leaving little doubt, this three-pound sledgehammer is a murder weapon. I don't know if I can even describe it. You already re really have come to the realization that they're gone. But now, it starts with the questions. Why? Who? How could you kill not only two adults, but how could you kill two little kids? This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. It was a motorcyclist off-roading through a remote California desert who first spotted the remains, bones buried in shallow graves now linked to a family that vanished in early 2010. Three and a half years after the McStay family went missing, their bludgeoned remains reveal an awful truth. They were murdered. We're looking at all options and investigating this crime from the beginning and trying to identify who the suspects are. San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department calls up a team of homicide detectives to work on nothing else until the case is solved. One of the first things that we decided was we're not going in with any preconceived notions and everyone's just going to start reading all this information that's there and taking our own notes. At that point, essentially, everyone's a suspect until we can rule them out. When you see an entire family murdered, obviously it's different because you have little ones. You got a two, you know, a four-year-old killed. When youngsters murder like that, then you have to try to understand why. Why the youngsters? That was a big question that everyone had. A question that leads to a theory. Could the killer be someone close to the family? Someone the children knew and could identify? San Bernardino investigators reviewed the case file from the San Diego Sheriff's missing persons investigation. Thousands of documents, audio tapes, videos, TV interviews, and records gathered over more than three years. From this... They call a master suspect list. And so then we just went out and we started talking to everybody. We had the benefit of having some sort of statement from them already because San Diego had spoken with the majority of these people. But we wrote search warrants for phone records, biological evidence, DNA. We took DNA samples from everybody just to include or exclude everyone that we could, everyone who had ever known that family. One person detectives decide to take a hard look at is a man named Dan Cavanaugh, who runs Joseph McStay's internet sales website. Cavanaugh raises suspicion when police find out he had taken money from the business after the McStay disappearance. Although Cavanaugh did not legally own any of the business, he claimed in a CNN interview that he and Joseph were informal partners. We shared ownership from the beginning starting the company 50-50. We basically had a little bit of a gentleman's agreement. Investigators track Kavanaugh down, and he tells them the same thing he told the news media, that he used the money to try to keep things going in Joseph McStay's unexplained absence. I actually corresponded with his family about that, and I was like, we need a couple Gs 
out of the PayPal account to keep this business online or we'll lose everything. And they're like, okay, well, do what you got to do. Dan was trying to keep the business afloat, but he definitely had interest in the business and, and didn't want it to fail. Kavanaugh explained, yeah, I took this money and this is why I took it. So you did have a period where everyone was trying to figure out what's going to happen to the business and keep this business running when there was this period where no one knew where Joseph was, no one knew what happened to him. Kavanaugh says he was 2,600 miles across the ocean during the time frame of the McStay murders. Dan had an alibi. At the time, he said he was with his girlfriend in Hawaii, and she flat out told me that she broke up with Dan, she's not friends with him anymore, she doesn't like him, they're obviously not boyfriend and girlfriend anymore, but I was definitely with Dan, I was definitely with him in Hawaii. Detectives tracked down Kavanaugh's plane tickets, as well as other evidence supporting his alibi. Dan definitely had uh, credit card activity in Hawaii. He had computer activity in Hawaii. Kavanaugh's information all verified. You know, not only were we able to, to prove it through phone records and purchases, you know, we were able to talk to people who were there with him and, and who verified it. Dan Kavanaugh has not responded to American Greed's request for comment. He has not been accused of any wrongdoing. There are three questions on the minds of a team of San Bernardino Sheriff's homicide detectives. Who killed the McStay family? Why? And can we prove it? They've eliminated dozens of possible suspects and begin homing in on the last person known to have seen Joseph McStay, his business associate and friend, Charles Chase Merritt. Charles Merritt was one of many, many people that we looked into. Initially, there, there was a, a business connection there with Joseph. He was definitely a good friend of mine. Investigators review a CNN interview that Chase Merritt did six months after the family's bodies were recovered. We, we got pretty close. Chase went on TV and, and talked about his relationship with uh, Joseph. And one of the, the key statements that, that he made was something to the effect of that he was definitely the last person who jo saw Joseph alive. You were the last person he saw. I'm definitely the last person he saw. That kind of cued into us as a red flag there because I, I don't know how any one person could be certain and say that he was the last person that saw his best friend alive if he wasn't in fact the last person that saw him alive. They listened to the interview San Diego detectives did with Merritt less than two weeks after the family went missing. I knew a lot of Joseph's, a lot of his finances and stuff because we were working so damn close together. I mean, you know, we were, we were just kind of co-mingling with the businesses. They too are curious about Merritt's use of the past tense when referring to his recently missing friend. At the time, you're talking within days after his, his business partner, his best friend, goes missing. He's referencing him in the past tense, already indicating that he believes that he's no longer around. Did you guys have a falling out at all? Never. Never. Okay. Merritt says he last saw Joseph on February 4th at a Chick-fil-A in Rancho Cucamonga, where Merritt lives, about an hour north of McStay's Fallbrook home. Why didn't Joseph come up here? We just had to go over all, all kinds of money stuff. He claimed that Joseph gave him some checks at that point um, to pay some of the projects. Then they went their separate ways from there. Well, why did he need the face-to-face with you? Was it big physically checks or...? Yeah, they were physical checks. Charles Merritt told San Diego investigators that these checks were all written. They were all signed by Joseph and given to Charles on the 4th. Detective Dan Hankey follows the money. He digs into Merritt's story about the checks and discovers something suspicious. 
The evidence comes from Joseph McStay's QuickBooks account. Records there show that the checks Merritt claimed to receive from Joseph on February 4th were not actually created until after McStay and his family disappeared. Checks were written to Charles Merritt. There were a couple other checks written to a vendor that Charles Merritt owed money to. And all the checks that were written after February 4th were backdated. On its face, a check like this one might appear to be written on February 4th, 2010. But down in the QuickBooks metadata, Detective Hankey discovers a posting date of February 9th, 2010, meaning it was created five days after the mixed day's disappearance. And the date was set for the last day that Joseph was seen alive. So that's when Charles Merritt's story started falling apart and really gave us the motive the evidence shows that someone had control of Joseph McStay's checking account right before and after his disappearance. Someone who wrote a total of nine checks to Chase Merritt and a vendor Merritt owed totaling nearly $15,000. And then took steps to make it look like all those checks had been written by Joseph McStay before he suddenly left. So who would do that and why? The answer comes from a suspicious phone call to QuickBooks customer service on February 9th, 2010, five days after Joseph McStay vanished. Detective Hankey tracks down the service rep who took the call. When I called him and he reviewed the call notes, he was shocked and remembered the call and said it was one of two calls that he's remembered in his entire career and he takes hundreds of calls a day. The rep says the call was memorable because the customer was adamant in demanding that all traces of his account be erased. The caller told the representative that his name was Joseph McStay. He said that this caller was insisting on deleting his account, deleting all the information off the account, canceling the subscription, and then deleting all the information on the account. There was a phone number attached to the caller, and that automatically populated. That phone number was Charles Merritt's cell phone number. Five days after the disappearance, Charles Merritt is pretending to be Joseph McStay and trying to delete McStay's QuickBooks account. But lacking the master passcode, he fails. And the damning digital evidence of his forgery is preserved. Investigators access cell phone records to track some of Merritt's whereabouts during the week the McStay family vanished. What they find puts Merritt at the scene of a crime. And after we looked at that, we saw two days after they went missing, his cell phone pinged in the area of the gravesite. The area of the gravesite is known as the High Desert. He grew up in the High Desert. He had ties to the High Desert. He knew the roads. He knew the area very well. Is there any reason that anyone would have seen you or your vehicle up in the High Desert area? Four years after he was first interviewed by San Diego, San Bernardino detectives decide it's their turn to confront their prime suspect. Why would people put you up in the high desert on February 6th? No idea. Merritt adamantly denies being at the desert gravesite location. He sticks to his guns. If he was in the desert, he was visiting family. The only reason I'd ever go to the high desert is for my brother, my sister. Problem is, his family has already told police that Merritt had not been visiting them. Why would your phone show you at the gravesite on February 6th? Not possible. I wasn't there. Why would your phone records show you there? Couldn't have. Oh, they do? It couldn't. 
he didn't have any good excuse. He didn't have a good alibi. Everything that he said, it was either a lie or he was trying to minimize his involvement. Chase, you need to be able to explain some of these things, and you're not able to explain Detectives believe Merritt also lied about how great he and Joseph's business and personal relationship was going. They locate an email sent from Joseph McStay to Chase Merritt three days before their last meeting that shows Merritt owes McStay nearly $43,000. Could Joseph McStay have had enough of Charles Merritt? Could he have found out that Merritt had accessed his QuickBooks account? The theory is Joseph was going to fire him or report him to the sheriff's department and Chase has a criminal record. Detectives learn that Merritt has two felony convictions for burglary and an outstanding warrant at the time of Joseph's disappearance. A third strike would mean automatic lockup for at least 25 years. He's in big trouble. If he gets another one, he's going to go to jail. That right there to me is a big motive. Jail. Using hand tools to dig up this hard desert dirt, these Victorville residents are putting up crosses where Joseph, his wife Summer, and two sons, Johnny and Joey Jr., were buried in shallow graves. We were here to pay our respects to the family. We know this pain. We know how it feels. After the bodies of the McStay family are found in the Mojave Desert, the head of the team of investigators working the case makes a promise to Joseph McStay's father, Patrick. He told me that they will solve this case, and he gave me his word. I believed him. Charles Chase Merritt was identified as the suspect responsible for the death of Joseph, Summer, Gianni, and Joseph McStay. Almost a year to the day since the McStay's family remains were located, Charles Chase Merritt is charged with four counts of first-degree murder. I remember when I first saw the video from the news where they were walking him from the car into the sheriff's office there and he's in handcuffs. Honest to God, people may hate me for it. I don't care. I was glad to see him in cuffs. When the capital murder trial of Chase Merritt opens, the San Bernardino County Superior Courtroom is packed. How does this family of four disappear off the face of the earth? Just up and gone. Cameras are in the court, and the trial is being live-streamed for the public. The prosecution lays out a theory of greed, murder, and cover-up at the hands of Charles Merritt. Ladies and gentlemen, the evidence in this case will show you not only the how, but the why, and especially the who. And the who is sitting here in court today. Charles Merritt. They put together a really solid investigation, covered every base that was available to them, but it was very clear to us that it was a very difficult case, that it was clearly uh, circumstantial. You did not have an outright confession. You didn't have an outright eyewitness. It wasn't on video. So it was going to be a difficult case. It was blow after blow after blow to a child's skull. Evidence from the graves clearly shows how the family died. But prosecutors struggle to show where the murders occurred. Let's make no mistake about it. Mr. Merritt is innocent. Merritt's defense team goes straight to this glaring flaw in the state's case. There is absolutely no physical evidence linking Charles Merritt to a murder scene. In fact, they can't even prove where the murder took place. No blood was found in the residence. 
Not a drop. The prosecution theory was that Chase would have had to have driven to Fallbrook, kill the family, load them up right into the truck, and then drive them out. In order to kill the family and clean the house, to a T, by the way, with all that blood, you remember they were killed with a sledgehammer. We're talking violent impacts that shattered skulls. Blood would be everywhere. But he manages to clean it all up spotless where there's not even a trace, a trace of blood in the, in the residence. The defense maintains that not only could the family not have been killed in their home, that more than one person was involved. They discovered a trove of aerial photographs routinely taken by county land surveyors. Upon closer examination, they find one taken shortly after the disappearance that appears to show two sets of tire tracks leading directly to the graves. You can see the two graves. You can kind of see the tracks driving into them. Just the two graves alone tell you it's two teams. We've never ruled that possibility out. You can have a murder case without answering those questions. Prosecutors sidestep the possibility of an accomplice and say that's not the question at hand. They focus instead on the circumstantial evidence connecting Chase Merritt to the crime. Given the fact that you have to transport four individuals, either dead or alive, away from a residence and clean up a mess if it occurred in the house, dig two graves, bury them, that's a lot. Is Mr. Merritt capable of doing it by himself? Sure. Is it likely or possible he had help? Sure. I don't have to take my client's word. The evidence says he didn't do it, so let's do these tests. Let's find out what happened. Halfway through a six-month quadruple murder trial, the defense representing Charles Merritt in the murders of the McStay family drops a bomb, claiming to have developed three unknown DNA profiles from items recovered inside the McStay graves. And guess what? It doesn't match Chase. Those three profiles don't match Chase. Question is, who do these three profiles match? The evidence in the grave says it's not him. If that's not reasonable doubt, I don't know what is. They wanted to create this idea in the jurors' minds. First of all, one man couldn't do this. Second of all, hey, there's a possibility there was DNA from multiple people up at the burial site. Because remember, they just need to find at least one juror who's going to say, I'm sorry, this is a hung jury. I. There's reasonable doubt. The DNA evidence could be game-changing, but the prosecution has already had the same items tested and did not find usable DNA profiles. Our lab and San Bernardino had tested certain items, and they indicated that because of the level of decomposition, that you weren't going to be able to get something that was going to be trustworthy. It wouldn't meet the standards of what was necessary for a lab. So Merritt's defense team searches out the newest technology and finds a lab working in the field of cyber genetics. The company essentially uses algorithms to create statistically probable DNA profiles from fragments of DNA, known as probabilistic genotyping. And there's three separate profiles, which means three individuals, because they're different profiles. And they don't match Chase, and they don't match any of the family members. That flies in the face of reliable science. The prosecution counters, pointing out that the defense exhibits are not valid scientific DNA profiles. They are mathematical predictions of profiles extrapolated from degraded, insufficient samples. 
So it's not really a genetic profile. It's an assumption and an inference not supported by actual genetic activity. What the defense came out with was there was a partial profile on, let's say, for example, one of the cups of a bra. What wasn't found on there was any of the victim's DNA. So it makes absolutely no sense at all that her DNA would not be on that at all, but yet some unknown touch DNA source would survive. It just makes no sense. Finally, the trial goes to the jurors, weighing the facts of a circumstantial case with no murder scene. A vote to convict is anything but certain. But the evidence pointing at the defendant stacks high and heavy on the scales. Prosecutors allege that Charles Merritt took control of Joseph McStay's checking account after McStay vanished. He wrote checks to himself and to vendors he owed, He took steps to make it look like the checks were written by Joseph before he disappeared. He then tried to delete the checking account and cover all traces of the activity. And he lied about all of it to San Diego investigators when they were desperately searching for the missing McStay family. Who else would do all of that besides the killer? When you look at the totality of the picture, you just came right back to it's Charles Merritt. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Charles Ray Merritt, guilty of the offense of murder in the first degree. On June 10th, 2019, the jury finds Chase Merritt guilty on four counts of first-degree murder, three counts with special circumstances. There was a huge sigh of relief. There was finally some closure for the family. They wanted justice. And I know that as they sat through and saw the evidence, um, they believed that he was responsible for it as well. That evidence was too overwhelming. And the jury saw that because they convicted. That says a lot when you get a jury looking at all this circumstantial evidence and saying, he's guilty. My son, Joey, did nothing but help you and your family. Patrick McStay has no doubts that the jury made the right call and lets Charles Merritt know it. You and no one else can be blamed. I hope you burn the hell. He's a scumbag. He's a creep. He's a, he doesn't deserve to walk the earth or take a breath. He killed somebody that trusted in him and gave him a chance when a lot of other people knew he was a crook. And then he kills my grandsons brutally? How do you do that? What's happened here is wrong. After the family members give their victims' impact statements, it's Chase Merritt's turn to address the court. There was a deep sadness in his face, but I think it was for himself. I don't deserve this. I did not do this. I will give him one thing. He stuck to his story. It is therefore the judgment sense of this court that the defendant, Charles Merritt, be sentenced to death. The man convicted in the murders of the McStay family has now been sentenced to death. Merritt is 62 years old. He will eventually be sent to San Quentin State Prison, where he will spend the rest of his life. One way or the other, he's going to pay. Whether he sits in there for the rest of his life or whether he, you know, whether he's executed. He's going to pay. 
The governor of California has issued a moratorium on executions. Merritt will remain on death row at San Quentin. He is appealing his case. Thanks for listening to the American Read Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.